Hi, this is Jerry Conway, and you're listening to Amazing Spider Talk. Too many who know the angles, uncover and untangle All the questions and the webs left out to tangle Welcome to the Amazing Spider Talk. My name is Dan Gavazdan, and I'm the founder and editor of SuperiorSpiderTalk.com. And I'm Mark Chinacchio, and boy, am I full, Dan. Yeah, yeah. I'm, it's a good thing we're podcasting in these chairs, because I don't really know that I could get out of mine. Yeah, I just, I, I officially have the belt loosened, uh, you know, the buttons popped. Uh, it, it was it was an epic Thanksgiving in, in, the, in the, the, these parts here. How about for you, Dan? I don't know about you, but I started my morning with wheat cakes covered in gravy. I don't know if it was Ooh. a smart move, but that's what happened. I, I like the way you talk. Well, in case people don't know who I am or where I'm from, I'm the founder of the Chasing Amazing blog and currently an editor at Superior Spider Talk. See? See what I did there? Yeah, yeah. I was really clever uh, segue there, <laughs> Mark. Thanks, everybody, for joining us for this special Thanksgiving Essentials episode of Amazing Spider Talk. And for you international people, I guess you wouldn't be technically international. Wherever you're from that's not America, happy American Thanksgiving to you all. Yeah, on Amazing Spider Turkey Talk. (laughs) Well, we hope you enjoy this podcast and that it provides an intelligent conversation, if sleepy, between two fans and collectors as we hope to look at the Spider-Man comic universe in a bit of a bigger picture. Hmm tryptophan <laughs> so for this episode we'll be discussing our potential essential spider-man comic of the week this week we'll be discussing your pick dan amazing spider-man number 578 and 579 also known as unscheduled stop by mark wade and marcos martin and javier rodriguez on color i did not i saw this today reading reading this and thought wow javier rodriguez uh we love his stuff in spider-woman you were reading this comic on Thanksgiving, Dan? Yeah, I was, you know. Anything to get away from the family. <laughs> oh, I see that. I gotcha, I gotcha. Although it's easy because they're all asleep in the other room. <laughs> so, Mark, Watching football. So, Mark, before we get into talking about this book, I'd really like to encourage listeners who haven't read it before to go out and check it. I say that because the brand new day era was one of the least read periods of, uh, of the character. And like our earlier Rhino story, I think it's a gem that many may have, may have missed because I think a lot of people weren't reading during this time. Is that fair to think? Oh yeah. I, I mean, you know, there are, you know, you hear stories about, Oh, I dropped it after brand new day, but you know, if you drop, you dropped it and missed this one, you missed a really good story. Yeah. So Mark, uh, let's get right into it and talk about how much we like this particular book.
All right, Dan. So uh, in, in a few points or less, why don't you tell me why this made your essential list? Yeah, Mark, this one, uh, I have to admit, I feel like the rhino story, I have to kind of put an asterisk on this one and say maybe it's not essential, but it's a real favorite of mine. Um, but let me try to make a case for why I think this it would be fitting on an essentials list. So first off, and you, you feel free to refre- refute me on this one, I think there are a few Spider-Man books that have felt so tied to New York City. And um, I think this is reflected in this book in the artwork and storytelling. And I wanted to find a story from my list that really showcased Peter's relationship to New York that wasn't the Spider Island finale, because we're going to talk about Spider Island, I think, on this list. Um, But Mm -hmm. uh, there's a lot here. You know, he starts above ground, you know, and you see him eating Chinese food and interacting with the city and the subway. And you're often seeing New Yorkers talking about their lives. Um, Maybe not so directly being like, oh, I'm a New Yorker. But there's a lot of things in this book that are very specific to New York, that if you lived in New York, you would really know what they were talking about or the attitudes that they were expressing. And I really like that about it. Um, This is also another story that really, uh, I think, nails the Parker luck uh, in a way that a lot of stories, you know, try to and, and don't quite succeed. I think this is like pure essence Parker luck that every step forward for him is also a step backwards. Um, and every lucky catch is really another opportunity for things to go wrong. So there's that. But also, really, I wanted to use this book as a modern example of how to do classic Spider-Man right. There's no weird twist on this character. It's just Spider-Man doing Spider-Man the way he did in the 60s. And it still manages to be fresh. So I thought this could be a book to show people who want to understand the base appeal of the character. You know, the mechanics of his role in the world, his relationship to New York, how he uses his powers, his humor, his intellect, his supporting cast, even the Dicko-esque artwork. Um, All of it has a classic feel, but they wouldn't have to steep themselves in the stylistic writing of Stan Lee. It can be modern and classic at the same time. So it's just a great jump-on issue. So maybe not essential, but pure distilled Spidey. I guess that's my pitch. No, that's a good pitch, Dan. I, I, you know, I, I, I will admit that I, I did kind of want to challenge this one a little bit, not because I don't like the story. I, I quite love this story, in fact. Um, but I was saying to myself, but you know, is this essential? But, but I mean, you, these points, you, you kind of sold me in that intro there, Dan. Uh, I, you know, I might, I might be backing off my, my contrarian claims here. Um, especially liked how you talked about. The New York City element. Um, I mean, you can you can probably actually make that case for most of the issues from Brand New Day. I mean, they really did use New York so well, and and it's something that the Spidey books have gotten so far away from. In in I mean, to the fact that New York is not even a character in Spider Man now. It's just just another thing that makes it feel so foreign. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, intentionally so. But you're. Right. No, I know. I know. But um, but this idea of like a distilled Spider-Man story. And I do think there's this there's an evergreen quality to this comic where, you know, this could have come out in the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s or 2000s. And I don't think the thrust of the story would be 
any different, which is key. You know what I mean? Like it's, 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 this is just, you know, it's Spider-Man, um, saving regular New Yorkers and using his strength and his guile and his perseverance. Uh, he's fighting street level villains in terms of shocker, you know, and, and the mob and, you know, the, 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 what is it? The, which family is it? Um, the, um, I well, don't, one of the families. One of many families <laughs> in New York, yeah. Yeah, and not family like what we what we went through yesterday for Thanksgiving. <laughs> um, but but yeah, it 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 really does kind of just it's a, it's a great snapshot. I mean, you know, something that I something that I particularly love about this story is is the pacing of it. Uh, it's very compact. And and again, this is what makes it kind of feel timeless to me because it's like, you know, we, we, we talk about this so much that this, you know, writing for the trade mentality and we'll, would, would a series like Secret Wars read better in a paperback than it does issue by issue. Um, and I feel like a lot of creators have kind of lost their um, their knack for brevity. And this is this is a two issue arc. And each of these two issues is very. There's a lot in there, but it's not like exposition heavy. It's just it's just a perfectly paced and laid out and developed story. Um, you know, probably would make a great movie, but you know, like just like with uh, the comics, you know, you can't do a superhero movie that lasts any less than like two and a half hours. It seems so. Uh, you know, <laughs> and the shocker is not like a big enough villain uh, for for Spidey, and I, it's, it, it kind of brings up the point not to go on a, too much of a tangent here, but. You know, I'm always excited for Spider-Man movies, but I would be way more excited for a Spider-Man television show uh, because I think he's yeah. really, you know, the whole high school thing. He really belongs in a television show, I, I think, personally. Um, well, I, this is OK. I mean, with that in mind, I mean, this arc would like definitely function as like the perfect like Netflix series episode. Like it would be like a 52 minute long episode and it would just feel perfectly paced in that format. You know, like and like, a lot of brand new day I think, know. falls into that. There were a lot of like two part stories that were really quite wonderful. I mean, I'm not trying to sound lazy here. I mean, I, I don't mind reading a six issue arc, but I mean, this, this is this is just perfect to me. I mean, this is, and this is this is you got this a lot during like Dicko Lee and then even Romita Lee. I mean, you know, some of the, uh, you know, the the fact that the 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 master planner saga was three issues was kind of like unheard of at the time. You know what I mean? Like that something would go for three issues, and even um, then, people really only read the last issue of that of that story in really high regard. That's true. Um, and then the other thing about this storyline that I know you'll want to talk about, but you didn't mention in your intro is the artwork on it. I mean, I mean Marcos, Marcos Martin. Martin is, yeah. I mean, we've, we've, we've talked about this on the show in the past uh, when he's kind of jumped on a Spidey book and, you know, I think I once said to you that he draws what my dreams look like. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't know why this guy wasn't offered an exclusive contract to draw Spider-Man like to the end of his dying day. Like here's a like promised money every year just keep drawing this character. I I I could just eat his artwork every day. I, everything about it's perfect and you talk about that great pacing. I mean Wade does a wonderful job writing this story, but I got to think that a lot of that pacing is due to uh, uh, Martin's amazing 
like framing and just like visual layouts that just guide your eye through the story so casually that you can't miss a detail because it's so smartly laid out. And a lot of that has to do with the you know basic conceit of this story, which is, we haven't said yet, which is Spider-Man trapped underground in a subway car with the crumbling weight of New York City on top of him with no lights. So he has to use his spider belt to illuminate things. And boy, does uh, Marcus Martin really utilize that to its full extent uh, in, in creating a really amazing story here. I mean, the, the art, the artwork is just amazing. And you know, what's, what's so funny about Martin is like, you know, I think of all the artists besides Ditko and, and you compared him to Ditko. So it, it, this is apropos. I mean, it's like, it's not like it's not like they make Spider-Man like this big hulking figure, like a McFarlane or something. It's like it's it's all very simple, but it's just so beautifully rendered and laid out so uniquely in a way that we just are not used to seeing in Spider-Man comics that that it, it just makes it does make any story he jumps on feel like an event. Yeah, and it kind of reminds me of like J.R.J.R., but there's there's just that little bit extra that makes it just off and that's the real key like his fingers will curl in the wrong direction when he's climbing the wall you know and there's something really mm-hmm. otherworldly about that um but it it kind of gives spider-man this almost like creep factor that i think Ditko gave him like there's a reason why J- jameson is scared of this guy and thinks he's a bad guy it's because when you look at spider-man like first of all that costume is really different but He's kind of a creepy figure, you know, and you really get that sense here. Yeah. I mean, who likes spiders? Not the wasp. <laughs> Certainly not. Certainly not. And and there's even, you know, speaking of people not liking Spidey, I love like everything you, you like about the kind of like Dick, uh, Dicko and Ramita and Stan Lee era of like Jonah turning the people against Spider-Man is also here because you've got these people trapped with him and half of them are like, don't trust this guy. And the other half are like, no, he's trying to save us, you know? And, uh, and so Spider-Man not only has to deal with the weight of the city crushing him from above, he has to deal with these people and whether they're willing to trust him. So uh, we want tell us a little bit more about who these people are, Mark, for people who maybe haven't read this story. Um, so, so Dan, the big, the big twist with this story is that, you know, Peter gets onto this train and, and you know, the subway train. And of course, when he initially first tries to get on, um, there's like a cop standing there telling him to get onto the next train, even though the car he was trying to get into was completely empty. And as it turns out the the train is holding these 12 jurors, uh, for, uh, a, a mob trial and, uh, and, Yet another twist, who does the one of the jurors turn out to be, but J. Jonah Jameson Sr. Uh, that's right, Daddy Jameson is here. The the original the original Papa Jonah <laughs> <laughs> is on this train. And and this train becomes a target for um the shocker who has been hired by this mob family to take out these jurors. Um so that that is kind of the the setup for this issue is that you know in in very typical Peter Parker Parker Luck fashion you know he's he's late for a train you know he almost misses the train and then kind of serendipitously gets on it anyway and then this turns out to be the train that gets attacked by the shocker 
So, you know, it's bad luck, but, you know, even as he notes himself at the end of the story, if, if it's Parker luck in the other way, because if he wasn't there, he wouldn't have been able to save these people, which is, makes it kind of a good thing, but it's not. So Peter Parker luck people, right? I mean, it's, this is, this is, this is the, the Peter Parker condition. Yeah. Well, he even gets a, he even opens a fortune cookie at the beginning of a story that says you're going to have a lucky day. And uh, what what does that mean for Spider-Man? Uh, who anybody right. can say? Um, so, what do you think about uh, having the introduction of JJJ Senior in this book? You know, it's 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 I'm of two minds with it. I mean, like it it's, and again, it, it kind of plays into the classic feel of the story where I, I like how after or I shouldn't. Say, not even about like or dislike, but it's interesting to me how after Spider-Man learns who who Jameson Sr. is, he like starts thinking about, oh, you know, I can't wait to get the look on Jonah's face when he sees I saved his dad. And I'm like, I'm like, I've, I've read this before. Like, oh, you know, I'm going to save his son from, uh, you know, from the chameleon. And that, 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 did, or not the chameleon, but I'm going to, or was it the chameleon? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, the chameleon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. In the first issue. Um, I'm, I'm forgetting. I'm becoming Peter Palmer. Um, <laughs> so I, I, I like the, that incentive doesn't feel if, you know, like we, we've kind of proven at this point, you know, over the years, like when Spider-Man has saved Jameson's family or Jameson himself, it doesn't matter. So I don't understand quite why. Spider-Man is having these thoughts like, oh, I'm going to save his father. Then then that'll really validate me. You, you know it's not. And, and you know, I mean, the other complaint, if, if you want to call it a complaint I might have, is that, you know, what has Jameson's father gone on to really do besides marry Aunt May, um, which was kind of more of a, I felt like a forced plot point to kind of create other, like, sitcom awkward situations like Peter walking in on... May and Jameson in bed. Uh, Remember that <laughs> great that. moment, everybody? Yeah. <laughs> well, now you do, because I'm sure it's going to be in your podcast feed. So it's like, I mean, I get it. I, I get why he's there. And, and they have this. I don't want to negate it because there's some great moments here. But like over the long haul, I do kind of question the necessity of it, if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. And, uh, you know, I. I, I it's one of the things I like about this comic the best is, uh, you know, I, I guess it didn't need to be J. Jonah Jameson Sr. But I like that, like all classic Spider stories, that even in these kind of death-defying scenarios, uh, we get great stories with Spidey's supporting cast. And this one very much reminded me of the uh, famous Goblin issues where uh, uh, J.J.J. Jr. and... Uh, and Spidey teamed up to kind of escape from being tied up and drowned and everything like that. Um, and so I kind of like seeing him put in place here. And I guess it didn't bother me so much that, like, he – I didn't get the sense that Spidey thought that saving his father would change anything. Because at this point, Jonah and Spidey, it's it's more like a game than anything else. Like, how can I rub this in your face as much as possible to the point that even when he does save him at the end, instead of being like, you know, yay, I, I got out of there. He immediately goes over to uh, Jonah Jr. And is like, see what I did? 
you know, and 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 you know, of course, his father is gone, but uh, I kind of like that playfulness of it, and I think it's kind of nice to have not only him saving the day, but also having some interesting character moments and interaction with a character that seems like it's going to matter in the long run. So even if he didn't, you know, it really matter like you're saying. It's a fair point. I, I, I mean, like I said, I'm, I'm I'm picking nits because this is this is a great story. I don't want to make it sound like I dislike Jameson's role in it, but like, you know, I I I, I feel like it's an impactful reveal because it's like, oh wow, this is the father of my like arch nemesis essentially, and I'm going to save him. But you know, with the power of hindsight. What did you know? What did it really mean in the long run? And I don't know if it really has. Yeah, that, like, I that's don't know. True. I, I think that if um, it maybe changed Peter's relationship to Jameson more profoundly, even you know, kind of, it would it could have had more of an impact. But I don't know if you could say that that's was the case. But kind of moving off this point, one thing. You know, we, we kind of debated this back when we were talking about superior foes way, way back in the day. The characterization of Shocker there is kind of this like, you know, really terrified coward. And, and we kind of all agreed that was a bit of an exaggeration. But something I did find interesting, you know, people had talked about, well, you know, Shocker was pretty, pretty tough in, in unscheduled stop. And then rereading this, it was like, yeah, he's kind of a, he's kind of got some cowardly tendencies here. I can see where this is coming from, right? I mean, am I am I imagining this? Yeah, I don't I don't think you're imagining it. Although, I do want to give him some credit. Like the city is falling in on his head. I don't know that he has much uh of a choice in um how he, how he behaves here. And I think it's you know, if he appears cowardly, it's mostly as a result of how on top of things Peter is as Spider-Man. I, I really think in this book he really exudes this kind of confidence and 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 power as the Spider-Man character. I mean, he dismantles uh, Shocker pretty quickly, but then he does like a smart thing. He kind of rejiggers Shocker's gauntlets, you know, so he can use them on his own. And to me, that's kind of a great example of like how I consider Peter to be smart, like. He uses his enemy's tools to get him out of a situation. And there's also a moment where I'm sure we're going to talk about this, where, uh, you know, Peter is holding up the earth as it's crumbling around him as he lifts uh, the other uh, subway members from below and these rats collect on him. But he instructs um, uh, Jameson Sr. to point his belt light down so that he doesn't see what he's doing. And um, to me, that is like so confident because it says, not only am I going to do my job well, I'm also going to know how other people would react to me doing that. So I'm going to tell them to look away so that they're not scared. And it's a rare moment of confidence, like from Spider-Man that, I, that I've ever seen in a comic book. What are your feelings about that? Oh, it's probably my favorite moment of the whole story. I mean, to me, this is the moment that sells the story. I mean, it's a powerful image. It, powerful in kind of an offsetting way by all means but that's that's the point like you said like he's so he's so assured of himself in terms of how he's going to save the day that you know he's not you know he's not looking for the adulation of look look at my struggle it's 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 just look away and 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 
you know, I've set it up so you can save yourself. So save yourselves. You know what I mean? Like I, 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 this is what I've done. Don't, don't, it's again, it's power and responsibility. It's like, you know, I, I, you know, because of my power, I, I, you know, you, you can now be free. So be responsible and take advantage of it instead of staring at me and, you know, getting freaked out by the rats and, and, and the danger that you're all in, you know, <laughs> like it's, it's, it's just a really powerful image on a lot of levels. It's funny reading it. I thought to myself, like, this is like something that I would see Superman do, you know, like, cause Superman is kind of characterized by his empathy, you know, for, for the people that he's saving. And, um, I don't know. I just thought it was such a, I mean, like you said, it's the best moment of the comic, but, and, and even ripping off, you know, imagery we've seen a million times of Spider-Man lifting things. I, I think visually the rats really add something new to it that doesn't make it just another hollow uh, copy of what we've seen before. Yeah, and, and, and it's funny that, I mean, you mentioned the, the riff on, on the classic image of Spider-Man holding up the rubble, but it's like, it's really a unique twist in that he's he's... He's not really doing it as much to save himself as it is other people this time, you know? And, and, and yeah, I mean, he saves innocence, but like, I, I, I can't think of the, a time that this motif has been used to save a bunch of innocent people rather than himself. You know what I mean? It's, it's usually him not giving up so he can go on and fight the villain and save the day. And here it's, it's just so he can get these people out of this, this really awful situation. Is there anything else you want to talk about this issue? I mean, I love this issue, and and I would just encourage everyone to go check it out. There's not a lot to say because it's just so well done. You know what I mean? Like it, it it's it's just all the yeah. things that we've talked about loving about Spider-Man, to me at least, distilled into one comic or two comics. And it's tight, and and like I said, it's tight and it's compact. So I mean, there's not a lot to analyze because you know, it's 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 it's. It, it, you know, it, it's there and it's done in, in, in a good way. You know what I mean? Like it's, it doesn't kind of linger on and, and there's not, there's no wasted space. So ultimately our listeners are going to decide on whether or not this is an essential comic. But the more I think about it, the more I'm like, yeah, this would be a great one to include on the list, you know, just so people can get a sense of like what makes a character work so well. Stop, stop cheerleading for your own submissions, Dan. Uh, I will. I will. I will. I'm going to take a chill pill here and uh, and and we'll move on to the next thing before I start fawning even more over this comic. (laughs) Good. That's the way to do it. So uh, last episode, Mark, you and I, uh, we talked about this new phone number that we have. Uh, We have this 100th episode of our show coming up really soon, and uh, we want to get your messages uh, about your experience with our show and, and, you know, stories you have and questions you have for us and kind wishes as we approach our 100th episode. We want you guys to take up the bulk of our 100th episode because guess what? We have almost 100 episodes of us talking to you. We want you guys to talk to us. So, Mark, what is the number that people can call to leave us a message? 
It's nine one one, Dan. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. That's terrible. Don't call nine one one, kids. Don't call it. Never. Not as a prank, unless there's an emergency. Uh, but to talk to us or to leave us a voicemail, the number is nine red goblin. Again, that's nine red goblin. Dan, why did you pick nine red goblin? What were you thinking? Well, you know, I might have had a, a lapse in in judgment on par with naming our member club the Friendly Neighborhood Spider Talk Members Club. But, yes, I named it Red Goblin because that's about the most clever thing that I could find that worked in a phone number. And because I think we're lobbying Marvel to create a new villain called Nine Red Goblin so that we can retroactively say that we were geniuses. I mean, maybe maybe they could create a villain that's actually nine goblins that are all red. See, see, this this is really working out. You just keep spinning it here, buddy. You just keep spinning it. I will. So, uh, Dan, any, any, anything you want to hear in the voicemail box? Really, I just want to hear funny stories that people have had of maybe they're like laughing out loud on a bus to some dumb thing that we said or – like they were playing this at home and someone walked in when we were discussing Nambla and they had to explain the situation to someone. <laughs> I, I don't know. Uh, you know, I, I swear it's not a Nambla focused podcast. Um, but yeah, I, I think our uncle Ben's, I think our uncle Ben's stories require a lot of explanation to people just walking in. <laughs> yeah. Right. Why did, why are you listening to a show about how people's faces got torn off by monkeys? Uncle Ben, baby. Uncle Ben. Of course. So uh, what about you, Mark? Anything you want to hear? I want people to tell me their favorite Uncle Ben story. I just want people to talk about me. Okay. Um, so call, call in about. and talk about so, Mark. Exactly. The good, the bad, but mostly the good. In fact, only good. It's that time of the show again where you step away from the microphone and I start hitting my head repeatedly on the desk in front of me. Wow, it's, that's that's kind of intense, Dan. I'm I'm afraid to step away now. Well, you know what? I'll probably have less of a uh, headache <laughs> than Flash will when he wakes up tomorrow morning. Well, I was going to say. So we had a very uh, before I turn the microphone over. I want to. I just want to preface it by saying we had a very special Thanksgiving yesterday. You know, Flash was there. I, I invited him. You let, um, you let because, him out of the closet. You know, he, well, he's he's been in my house for the last year or so since we started doing these flash reviews so i might as well have him come to thanksgiving and i, I didn't know what to expect because the family really hasn't met him yet kind of like bringing the the girlfriend over for the first time you know or boyfriend or whatever it is so anyway yeah so i i, I kind of feel like i've made peace with flash so you know be be kind and give thanks when he gets on the microphone okay All here right. he comes happy thanksgiving dan happy turkey day to you flash uh, what's your what's your favorite part of the Thanksgiving spread? Do you like the turkey, or do you like the corn, or do you like the sweet potato? What's your favorite part? I'm a pumpkin 
bread kind of guy myself. What about you, Flash? Yeah. You know what I like? I like I like the nuts. Like these nuts. <laughs> you bet you thought I was all reformed and happy. And now, you know what I did for Thanksgiving yesterday, Dan? I drank three bottles of scotch. And then passed out on the plate. Janakia didn't even know. He, he was watching football, looking at his fantasy football team. He didn't even care. His his wife was horrified. His child was horrified. I ruined Thanksgiving, and he doesn't even know about it. And now I'm just going to go crow about it in the street. So, adios, Gavazdin. I, I did not know that that happened yesterday, Dan. I, I can't believe he professed it on the airwaves. You just, I mean, you know, the gall, I mean, that's chutzpah. He just doesn't care. How many bottles of scotch do you keep laying around? At some point, I'm going to, I'm starting to think that you're part of the problem. Magic. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let's get into our reviews of these books uh, before time runs out. You want to kick me, uh, kick me off. Start me off, Dan. I will kick you off. Oh, <laughs> so again, the rules for those for the uninitiated 60 second reviews of all the B books. Uh, Dan, we're going to start with Carnage number one. Why don't you count me in? Sounds like Carnage number one was the name of your Thanksgiving. All right. Yeah. Three, two, <laughs> one. Yeah. Well, Dan, I still think pairing Jerry Conway with a 90s phenom like Carnage could have been all shades of wrong, but Conway proved he still has the chops by combining. Bronze Age Era Horror with Carnage. This was probably my favorite of all the recent Spider books because it's such an unexpectedly unique take on Carnage and his universe. Conway plays with some standard monster movie tropes, which in turn create some dynamics we don't typically see in a Carnage book. Uh, The camp specifically is tamped down considerably and thankfully. And instead we get a legit psychological thriller that ends with an exquisite cliffhanger. The art team also does a fantastic job capturing an old school aesthetic that makes this comic read like it's direct from the pulp era. I say fan club certified. Awesome, Mark. I can't wait to talk about Carnage. All right. Well, three, two, one. Well, I agree with you, Mark. Color me impressed. This makes for three Carnage series in a row that I'm enjoying more than I have any right to. And the key to all these series has been to either downplay Carnage as the main character or to completely change his disposition, like in the Axis story. While this first issue is a bit heavy on exposition, I I felt Conway really presented it naturally, naturally, and he set up uh, for a, a really potentially creepy story. And I'm not the kind of person who gets scared by reading comics, but I have to admit, the final image of this book with Eddie riding an elevator down into the depth of the depths of the mine, which might as well be hell, gave me a lot of chills. I, I really enjoyed this book. I'm calling this one fan club certified. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned Eddie there, Dan. It's also worth noting that um, Jerry Conway was uh, trying to get the hashtag shut up Brock uh, tw- uh, trending on Twitter, which I thought was funny. Yeah, they what, <laughs> say it like three times in this issue? Yeah. <laughs> Shut up, Brock. <laughs> and like the solicits for this, the upcoming books in this series are just get weirder and weirder. So I don't know where this is headed. Yeah, that's a good thing. I think I think it's good to be weird for Carnage. Speaking of weird, pregnant Spider-Woman, number one. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Give you a countdown in three, two, one.
So as much as I enjoyed the first run of issues with this book, something about this status quo reboot doesn't sit right with me. And the first issue did very little to quell my concerns. When Hopeless and Rodriguez keep it real in terms of Jessica's monologuing, the book shines. But otherwise, this seems to be an extended what-if exercise that also moves Spider-Woman away from her street-level roots, a.k.a. what worked so well the last time around, in favor of a story about a mysterious pregnancy and scroll battles. I want to give this series a chance, but if this was the status quo the first time around, my usual aversion to Spider-Woman books probably would have been maintained, and I never would have discovered one of the most consistently great creative teams in the Spider-Office. Uh, so, you know, taking the good with the bad, I'm going to say Puny Parker. You're up in three, two, one. Well, Spider-Woman continues for me to be the best book being published in the Spider line, and this issue I thought was no different. Major props had to be given to Javier Rodriguez, who might be the most interesting artist working at Marvel right now, particularly in this issue where he's allowed to draw a number of amazing character-filled spreads that are jam-packed with fun characters and aliens and who knows what's. He also updates his coloring style beyond his previous flat colors and brings in some wonderful shading to fill Jessica's work with a bit of danger. It's a truly wonderful stuff and comics working at the best they can. Oh, and also Jessica is pregnant. It works. And it has me on the edge of my seat. And you shouldn't ask her who the father is. Just don't ask her who the father is. I'm calling this one fan club certified. Very good, Dan. All right. Well, we're, it looks like we're going to close it with kind of an ans even ancillary title for a B book. We're going to do all new, all different Avengers number one, which has Miles Morales in it. I, I guess we'll have to figure out after you know how how much we want to keep doing these issues. But I think for, certainly for this one, we can do it, right? Yeah, sure. Let let's do it. Uh, all new, all different Avengers number one. I'm going to give you the countdown in three, two, one. So after much fanfare and hype, this issue seemingly came and went with a whimper in terms of its debut. It's an interesting assortment of characters, but definitely lacks the usual gravitas and pomp and circumstance of what is supposed to be Marvel's premier team book. On top of that, Mark Wade has been so successful working in tighter, smaller corners of the Marvel Universe in recent years. I question if he's the right creator in terms of scripts to usher the main Avengers book in this relaunch. Miles felt rather inconsequential as well, though I'm assuming like Peter in the Bendis Avengers books, his inclusion might be more for sales reasons as much as anything else. So I'm going to say Puny Parker. You're up in three, two, one. Well, Jonathan Hickman's Avengers run was a story-first, character-second affair, and after this first issue of all-new, all-different Avengers, Mark Wade's approach seems to be the exact opposite. And to be honest, neither really works for me, as this book is just way too decompressed, and the threat of the Chituari is hugely forgettable. Oh, and you mean another disposable alien is threatening Earth? Okay, and... You know, I love Wade's writing, and I, you can see why in the second half of this book, as there's a great scene between Nova and Miss Marvel. But honestly, it read like a great scene from a Nova or Miss Marvel comic, not a debut issue of The Avengers. So I have to agree with you, Mark. This one was really puny Parker. 
All right, Dan, we're getting towards the end of the show. So why don't you, you get us through that, get us through the start of that routine. All right, here we go. Right on script. Of course, you can find all of our new amazing Spider Talk and old Superior Spider Talk podcasts at superiorspidertalk.com or find us on iTunes and Stitcher by searching for Amazing Spider Talk. And if you do, please leave us a rating and comment to let us know how we're doing and we'll read on the air. And I would be remiss if I didn't say, call nine Red Goblin and leave us a message for our 100th episode. Um, and of course, if you have any opinions on the comic we discussed today or any questions, be sure to email them to us at AmazingSpiderTalk at gmail.com and we'll address and read them on the air as well. Oh, I cannot wait to get those voicemails, Dan. I, oh. <laughs> I can't wait either. And be sure to check out our Facebook pages, uh, Superior Spider Talk and Chasing Amazing uh, uh, on Facebook because they're great places to keep up with us. We talk about articles we've written and all that fun stuff. Um, what else, Dan? Yeah, well, as always, you can follow the adventures of Spider-Gwen and Miles Morales. And if you feel like we're being too negative on Spider-Gwen, you know, Brian, Kyle, and Nora over at the Ultimate Spin Podcast, our sister podcast, they love that book. So, you know, you can – well, keep listening to us, but <laughs> you can go over there and get an alternate opinion that I think uh, will kind of maybe fall more in line with how you feel about it. If, you, if you're really positive on the book. So I like that we have this kind of diversity of opinion. Um, so go check out the Ultimate Spin Podcast. Yeah, and then uh, speaking of spinning, uh, our music, our theme song is courtesy of Rylan Bojack, and our outro song comes from Magic. And again, we always have to say a special thanks to the awesome people that made all of our artwork on the show. That's Nick Cagnetti, Ray Sumzer, Ron Friends, and Sal Buscema. All right, Dan. Well, uh, uh, on the uh, World Wide Web, where can one find Dan Gavazdan? Well, you can find me on Twitter at, at SupSpiderTalk or my normal Twitter account at Dan Gavazdan. Read all of our stuff at SuperiorSpiderTalk.com and read all my movie reviews at GrindMyReels.com. What about you, Mark? Well, you could, of course, find me at ChasingASMblog on Twitter, and then you can find my writings at SuperiorSpiderTalk.com. We just wrapped up the Mackie Byrne Volume 2 retrospective, and uh, starting the, the Monday after Thanksgiving, Dan, we're going to be kicking off a new feature. Are you, are you ready to hear what it is? I Do you know, know what, what it is. is. I know what it is, so why don't you tell everybody listening what it is? Uh, you, 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 you ruin all my fun by making it sound like it's not a surprise to you. Um, uh, I, I will be surprised by the writing itself. Oh, there you go. That's that's one way to spin it. Uh, you know, I, I, I felt for a holiday theme, uh, we would be looking what we're going to be calling the 12 Lost Gems of Spider-Man comics. These are going to be uh, my holiday gift to you readers. I'm going to pick 12 stories uh, featuring Spider-Man that you probably won't be finding on any top Fifty hundred, whatever list uh, that celebrate the character, but they're stories that I think are great all the same, and that are worth checking out. Whether you have Marvel Unlimited or you know access to a library with paperbacks or whatever, and you know, so each each day over the course of t uh, twelve days between now and uh, you know the 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 winter December holidays, we're gonna uh, we're gonna have. A, a different feature. So uh, I think it's going to be fun and we're going to be talking about comics that are great and that I love and that, you know, maybe you don't get to read about a lot, um, which will hopefully inspire you to check them out, right? 
Yeah, and if you get Marvel Unlimited for Christmas, you got a good place to start reading some great Spidey books. Yeah, I think most of them will be found there. There'll be a few that you may not be able to, but you know, we'll we'll get there. <laughs> Mark and his crazy personal library. Yeah. Shh. <laughs> well, Mark, you know, it's it's wintertime in New York, which means the subway is the only place to escape the horrible cold that just blows its way down the avenues and, and, and streets of New York City. Um, and I remember spending hours and hours of my days sitting, standing, squatting, whatever position you can find to fit on the subway in the subway platforms in New York City. And uh, who could forget the days of the L train or the Caribbean guy who, who operates the G train and announces, welcome to the G train, in my terrible Caribbean accent. Uh, so, uh, th- I love that stuff. Uh, I, there was that one time that a guy in a dolphin costume offered me a free lap ride. Do you have a, a favorite subway line that you like to ride? Um, well, you know, I, I, I'm currently off the N and the R where I am in Brooklyn. And when I was living in upper Manhattan, living, living in upper Manhattan, I, I, I used to take the A train as Duke Ellington would tell us. It, it really goes back to the old days. Um, when I was with uh, my uncle Ben and we would take uh, the Q train down to Coney Island. I mean, you know, just had some some beautiful uh, summers down by the beach at Coney Island, uh, not going to Subway Sandwich Shop because um, we were past it at that point. And, um, you know, there was one time we took the Q down and um, it was a beautiful day and we we're walking the boardwalk and... We saw the Shoot the Freak at Coney Island. Are you familiar with Shoot the Freak, Dan? Yeah, of course. I mean, you know, it, it's not there anymore because, you know. Did they finally get rid of it? Oh, yeah. Thank, it's, 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 it, even Coney Island's been Disney-fied now, thanks to, thanks to Bloomberg. So my uncle was like, oh, you know what? Let me, let, me, let me give this a try. So he went to go shoot the freak. And, Dan, I, I just he's, not, no pun intended, this freak thing happened. He, she shot the little pellet gun or whatever, and it like ricocheted off uh, off of a Nathan's hot dog or something and 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 struck Uncle Ben uh, in, in the heart and killed him. Jeez Louise. Uh, I'm always shocked whenever he dies. It's, it's just traumatizing <laughs> because it's so out of nowhere. Yeah, I mean, you know, and... You know, I'm not about to to get into this whole thing about responsible gun u- ownership and using and 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 use and all that. But there was a lesson that Uncle Ben did impart upon me as he gasped for air with this. But I mean, how did it even ricochet off a hot dog, Dad? I, I mean, like of all the tragedies, it ricocheted off a hot dog. Those are some pretty serious hot dogs. I mean, anyway, the lesson, of course, was with great podcasts must also come Amazing Spider Talk.